0: So, we um, have a desire to see kids know Christ as Savior and decide to serve the Lord. So, we are always trying to give them a purpose in life. You know, it's hard to give teenagers a purpose in life if those that are trying to give them a purpose in life don't have a purpose in life. Don't you think that we ought to be an example of whatever we want them to be? Oh, now that's... Easy preaching and hard living. But we got to, you know, give a teenager something worth living for. And if it's worth them changing their lives for, well, then it should change ours. Don't you think? If God's word doesn't do anything for you, why would you want somebody else to do it? Why would you want somebody else to go to church if you don't go to church? Why would you want somebody else to support God's work if you don't support God's work? Why would you want them to pray if you don't pray? I think it all hits home all the time. And so we're always examining ourselves. What kind of a Christian are you? You say, I'm a Christian. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I know I have eternal life. That's good. What kind of a Christian are you? Well, I'm going to help you decide which kind you are. Don't they like that? I'm going to help you decide which kind of a Christian you are. And what I mean by that is, you are, are you an unfed Christian? An unfed Christian. Or are you a, a lazy Christian? Are you a lazy Christian? Just plain lazy. Good for nothing lazy Christian. You ever met anybody like that? Aren't you glad it's not you? I met myself and there I was. What about a worldly Christian? Are you a worldly Christian? What about a tied-up Christian, a timid Christian, a defeated Christian, a victorious Christian? (gasps) There I am, finally. Well, maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. You know, there's times in our life when we go from one stage to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other. Wouldn't it be neat if we were just top-notch all the time? No downtime. Just always up, always on the top of the mountain. Wouldn't it be great if we were never really down and discouraged and defeated? Wouldn't it be neat? Uh, Maybe that's heaven. But sometimes we go through those various stages. So I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Old Testament. Old Testament man, Jeremiah. And um, he was having a rough day. He was having a rough day. Well, he had a lot of rough days. His whole ministry was rough. He was called the weeping prophet, and he had things to cry about. Not only because of what was happening to his people, <laughs> but what they were doing to him. You know, they didn't like Jeremiah too well. And even the Lord had to tell Ezekiel, look, uh, don't be afraid of their faces. He says, they are a stubborn, hard-headed, rebellious people. But I want you to tell them anyway. You know, sometimes we don't get the easiest job. If we're just faithful to serve the Lord and shine, it, God puts us where he wants us to. And sometimes it's not our call. But notice what he says here in verse 16. Verse 16, thy words were found. Oh, any chapter, it doesn't matter. It's just wherever you want. And it's the word of God, you know. Thy words were found, so, so find any place you want. I don't care. No, in the book of <laughs> Jeremiah 15, I thought I told you that. I, I didn't tell you that, huh? I didn't tell you. Uh, it was, that was just testing you. I thought whenever I said those words, you knew where it was at. I thought y'all had a photographic memory. You know, he's good. Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. Thy words were found and I did eat them. Now, I did not find the word of God until I was 18 years old. And then the word of God found me. Now, Betty's dad got the Bible and brought it to me, and I sat down and began to read the Bible. But he says, Thy words were found and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy. And rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Isn't that a good verse, though? In spite of everything else that's going on, the Word of God is to be a rich, dwelling in your hearts richly by faith. So you're to know the Word of God, read the Word of God, study the Word of God, but are you an unfed Christian? Are you a Christian that just don't want to eat? Have you ever met anybody like that in life that just don't want to eat? And if you don't eat, you're going to get weak. Isn't that true? Don't eat, you get weak. So um, the key thing is, are you an unfed Christian? This is why we want to feed God's I've had people that, uh, you know, they don't come to church for a month, and they say, you know, uh, he just doesn't feed me. Well, I put the food on the table, you didn't come to eat. I've had people say, you know... I'm tired of the milk. I want some meat. I want meat to eat. Did you know that meat for one person is milk to somebody else? If you already know it, that's just milk. If you've never heard it before, that's meat. So if you teach the word of God, there's milk and there's meat. And if it's meat, you can eat. You can eat it all on your own. Because see, whenever you would get older, uh, aren't you able to eat meat on your own? Or does your mother still have to cut it up for you in little bitty bites and chew it for you and then put it in your mouth? Now, little bitty kids, you mind. But the preacher is to teach the Word of God, and you decide what you're going to eat. So sometimes there's milk, sometimes there's meat, depending on what you know and what you don't know. And so some people have heard about the rapture. Oh, that's just milk. It's all I hear about is the rapture, because I already heard about that. Somebody else has never heard of it. Buddy, was I fed today? I mean they got something that they hadn't had before. Can you satisfy everybody? (laughs) Don't even try. You'll go nuts. But as Christians we are supposed to feed upon the word of God. Now take your Bible and look there in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 over there in the New Testament. 1 Peter and chapter 2. When the Lord tells us that we have been saved or born again by the Word of God. And see, it makes that statement in the previous chapter up in verse 23, where it says in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the Word of God gives to us eternal life. It's the incorruptible seed. So when you and I trust Christ as Savior, we have the new birth. And the new birth comes from an incorruptible seed. means it can't die. means it lives forever. But the Lord tells us that in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, how do you lay all of that aside? It's part of your nature. That's the way you were. That's that old sinful nature that you have. But how do you lay it aside? Well, he tells us how to do that. In verse 2, as newborn babes, desire. Desire something else. Now, you can desire the flesh, or you can desire that which comes from the Word of God. So if you have a hunger for the Word of God, and you want to feed upon the Word of God, it will make you whatever it is. If the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, it can make you sharp. Powerful, it can make you powerful. It can discern, you can discern. You see, the Word of God can make you what the Word of God is. The Word of God is perfect. The Word of God can make you perfect. It's the only thing that can. It gives you that perfect birth. That's why the glorious gospel is a perfect gospel. There's nothing lacking in that message. Because if I have to be perfect to go to heaven, then the gospel has to make me perfect. If it doesn't make me perfect, it's not any good. So all I'm left with is the flesh. i got to try to do my best. But I don't have to worry about that, because the Word of God makes you fit for heaven. It means if I believe it, it gives me a new birth, which is a perfect birth, and I'm good to go. Isn't that good news? That's good news. I knew you'd like that. But notice what he said in verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may what? that you may grow. So an unfed Christian is not going to grow as they ought to grow. Now take your Bible and turn to John chapter 9. The Gospel of John and chapter 9. John chapter 9. And look there in verse 4. John chapter 9 and verse 4. What about being a lazy Christian? Just don't want to do anything you know some people just have a motivational problem I found out this everybody is motivated to do what they want to do some people are motivated just to sleep all the time some people are just motivated just to be lazy that's their motivation they'll be a beachcomber you know they will be a bum well that's what they're motivated to do everybody's motivated to do what they want to do But now the key is, can you find a way to motivate people to do what they should do, but don't want to do? So they say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So you put salt in his oats to make him thirsty, so that they'll want to get some water. Well, I think the Lord does a little bit of that for us also. But look here in uh, verse 1 of John chapter 9, and he says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sin, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. In other words, the only time you have to work for the Lord is while you're alive. When you're dead, uh, there's not too much you can do about it anymore. So we need to work while we are alive. Be motivated. Encourage yourself. Challenge yourself. Motivate yourself to do what God wants you to do. Because, see, somebody else may not be able to do the job. Encourage and motivate yourself. Don't always be dependent upon somebody else. Learn to walk with God on your own. Learn how to stand. Because when you get to heaven and you have to face the Lord, well, Lord, you know, it's not my fault. Obama said it was Bush's fault. And the reason I don't do anything is because it was Bush's fault. Now, you are to assume responsibilities for yourself. Learn to discipline yourself. Now, I'm talking about that a little bit tonight. How to discipline yourself. How do you make yourself do what you should do? Because, you see, that's the biggest key. Keep going. Otherwise, you quit. You stop. And that you do not want to happen. Look in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Time to work. Matthew chapter 21. And you'll notice there's a, a little parable that's mentioned here. But look in verse 28. I had two sons. The Lord uses an illustration here about. A man who had two sons. So he said in verse 28, but what think ye? A certain man had two sons. He said to the first, he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered, as a typical teenager would, I will not. Now, is it okay for the daddy to tell the kid to work? It's probably a pretty good thing, learning responsibility, learning to work. Because the natural tendency is to be lazy until you find what you want to do. But sometimes in growing up, you have to do what you're told to do, whether you want to or not. Remember this, in building a ministry, it's not always built because you do the things you want to do, but because you do the things you don't want to do. There's a lot of things in a ministry Or in jobs that everybody has that you don't want to do, but if you want it to succeed, you have to do it. So you have to learn. Don't be lazy. Don't be a lazy person. Nobody loves a lazy person. It's just, you just don't want to be lazy. Do what God says to do, and you'll be surprised how it will be a blessing to you. But anyway, he said, he came to the first and he says, son, go work in my vineyard. He says, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind, repented, and he went. Came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and says, I go. But then he didn't go. He said the right thing, but he didn't do the right thing. So there's a lot of people that trust Christ as Savior. And the Lord says, I want you to work today in my vineyard. And how many people I've seen dedicate their lives to the Lord. I will. I will. I will. They don't never do anything. Nothing changes in their life. They stay the same. Do you think God expects there to be some changes made in a Christian's life? I do. To be saved? No. Prove you're saved? No. But he says, if you love me, do this. Now, it may be that some people just don't love him. You can trust Christ as Savior. Remember, going to heaven is not because you love God. You're going to heaven because he loves you. After you trust Christ as Savior... I believe that if you start reading and feeding on the Word of God, uh, it just kind of creates a love on the inside of you where you want to do those things. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 4, the book of James in chapter 4. Now you know, what about, you know, being a Christian that just won't separate? Do you think that's in the Bible? Should a Christian have a separated life? Well, I guess, you know, some people just separate themselves from everybody. Get them a little old hut in the backside of some mountain in Alaska. Well, I'm separated. I'm living that separated life. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Well, I got away from the world. You have to be where there are people. God didn't take you out of the world. He left us in the world so that we could influence the world. So we are to influence the world. But there's something that's uh, important for us to remember. Look there in chapter 4, and look in verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Ooh, but ain't that, that strong? Does the Bible say anywhere be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is that a verse in the Bible somewhere? Where? Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Those are two very good verses. But verse 2, be not conformed to this world. So if a Christian is conformed like the world, well, what do you mean by are you conformed to the world? Don't be conformed to the world. If the world makes you into its mold, its outside pressure of the world making you what it wants you to be. Or to be transformed means that there's a power on the inside of you that shapes and molds you the way you're supposed to be. So either the world shapes you because of its pressure, or the Lord shapes you because of His pressure. The Word of God puts pressure upon you teaches you how to restrain yourself from certain things and to refrain from certain things. So the change your life is the renewing of your mind. Sometimes people make the biggest mistake of trying to get people to change their life when they haven't renewed their mind. Then that means that they only conform to certain rules and regulations, but it never got to their heart where their mind has been changed. And as soon as they can get away from authority, have you ever seen teenagers that they may obey you as long as they're under your authority and then they can't wait to get 18 or get on their own and then what happens Woo look how world here I come you've been waiting on me And so it never got inward change it was just external laws that they obeyed they may be disciplined in the sense that they obey But being disciplined does not mean spiritual. You can be disciplined to obey a lot of things. Everybody who goes into the military and they go to boot camp, they're all disciplined. They do exactly what they're told, how they're told. Does that make them spiritual? No. That's not spiritual minded. But they're disciplined. So you can have a Christian school and have discipline but not spirituality. You can come to church and you sit where you're supposed to and you sing like you're supposed to and you can give money like you're supposed to and you can do all things like you're supposed to, but that doesn't make you spiritual. It means you're disciplined. It means you're obedient in certain areas. But it may not be that the reason that you do it is because I love the Lord and I'm doing it because the Holy Spirit has taught me from the Word of God to do it. Or you do it, well, the preacher said. If you do what you do only because the preacher says... That's not going to be very good. It's not going to last very long because the preacher will then say something that you don't like, and then you're going to get mad at him. But if you do what you do because the Lord guides you, well, then you have something to help you for the rest of your life. And it doesn't matter what people say and don't say or how they live and don't live. So take your Bible also and turn over there to the book of 2 Corinthians and chapter 6. 2nd Corinthians in chapter 6. And look in verse 17. Verse 17. Verse 17 says of chapter 6, this is on page 1234. 1, 2, 3, 4. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That means if you don't, He's not going to receive you and you don't get to go to heaven when you die. No, that's not what he's saying. He's already talking to believers. He's talking to those who already know the Lord, even though these Christians weren't too spiritual. He said, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal babes in Christ. Saved, but living like lost people. So a Christian can be saved and live like a lost man. But that's not the will of God. And so God says, one thing that will help you in your walk with God is you don't be a fence straddler, you know, on this side and on that side, trying to satisfy the flesh and trying to satisfy the spirit. And he says, that is a double-minded man, and don't think that man should receive anything of the Lord. James chapter 1. So he makes a statement here, wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. So Whatever it means, don't even worry about what it means. Does it say it? Is there a verse in the Bible that says a Christian should be separate from somebody else? Yes. Well, whatever it means. But then when you start studying it and applying it, look what he says up here in verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, we often take that, I mean, just, you know, A man is saved, he shouldn't marry a person that's not saved. So, that is true, and that's good, but it can go further than that. Could it also even apply to business? Could it apply in a church? Teaching of a Sunday school class? Preachers that come in to preach? What do they believe? We should not Yoke up with those that are teaching in error together, and I could, they could be the problem that we're trying to solve. Just like there's a lot of people in this world that maybe love freedom, but they want the freedom to teach their heresy. And I know that we have to have freedom for everybody in order for me to have some. So he says in verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? You see, righteousness and unrighteousness just don't get along. They say oil and water just doesn't mix. And what he's talking about here, light and darkness are opposite. You don't put them together. Uh, One annulls the other. Grace and works it just doesn't mix. So there's an understanding of keeping things clean and pure. Even God, when He wanted His people Israel to take and go into the land, He didn't want them to adopt the gods and the idols of the heathen that were there, that He was whooping them and for His own people to adopt them. That's why he's taking the land away from me, because he says in uh, Genesis 15 that the sins of the Amorites was not yet full. So God was patient. But that's why he put a curse upon Canaan, because the land of Canaan was then given to Israel. And so we have today. We will cross 8,000 miles of water to get over there to another country to fight the religion of Islam. You say, well, we're fighting the jihadists, you know, the terrorist, the, uh, the extremist. No, we're fighting the religion of Islam. The religion of Islam promotes what they're doing, the terrorists. The Quran is a war manual. And so do away with the things because it does not teach love, it teaches hate and murder and the force in its overthrow of another person, and in another country, and now they want to take and take over the world. Well, we are Christians. Christ is going to all the world and preach the gospel. So, what's the difference? Well, because Christianity is light, and Islam is darkness. They're not compatible. But now there's a new religion trying to come together called Chrislam. You know, Christ, Christianity, and the religion of Islam, we all worship the same God. No, we do not. There is Jehovah, and there is nobody that's Allah, because there is no God. Allah is not a God. There is no God. Only in the minds of people, there's only one true and living God, and His name is not Allah. And God, Jehovah, has a son, and they'll tell you their Allah does not have a son. And he has no mercy, he has no forgiveness, and he has no love. Study the Quran; it's not there. Even though, oh merciful one. They've got to beg for mercy because there's no love, there's no forgiveness, there's nothing. There's no sacrifice. It has nothing, it promises nothing, except if you were to kill somebody, you might get 70 virgins. But understand them. God wants His children to walk in the light, not in darkness. God wants His children to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. You see, separate yourself as much as possible from that which feeds the flesh. One of the things that I try to do as a a preacher, and for myself personally, is try to figure out what helps me to grow spiritual, and what will take and lead me to desire the things of the flesh, And that becomes a goal. So you have to decide, what is it that helps me to stay strong? Some people say, well, this doesn't bother me at all. Okay. Do whatever it takes to keep you right with God. But whatever it is, you have to be careful. That same thing that bothers you not necessarily bothers everybody else. So cut people a little slack and try to encourage people to want more of the Lord. But if you only say, all of this is wrong that's, wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that doesn't make you spiritual, just because I don't do. Spiritual is, well, it's active, not passive. It means it makes me do something. If ye love me, do, Boom. And so, because you learn to get people love the Lord. That's why when we have camps, we do everything we can to get them to memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture. Why? Get it into their minds. So that they have the Scripture of why they do what they do. Why don't you do that? Because God says. Why don't you do it? Because God. Because God. Because God. Because God. Well, my ranch director. Because preacher. Because. No, no, no. The Word. The power is in the Word to change people's lives. You can lay down laws all day long, but it won't make you spiritual. Does that mean that you don't have rules and regulations? No, I preached that last week. Yes, there is a time for all of that and to have the discipline. So it makes life interesting. And God says, and I will be to them as a God, and they shall be as me as as children. And uh, if you'll do this, God says, I'll do that. Now look in verse 1 of the next chapter. Look in chapter 7. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the, what? The flesh and the spirit, your attitude, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So is it the will of God that His children live right, live a holy life, godly life? Yes, it is. And the things in your life that you tolerate could be the loose gravel that causes you to lose your footing And you didn't think it was that bad. And next thing you know, you opened up a little door. And all your character fell out through that one little door because you didn't think it mattered. Everything matters. But learn how to discern for yourself. Otherwise, somebody has to walk through life holding your hand all your life and telling them, no, no, that's not right. No, 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 no. Then you despise people who do that because, oh, they're so much more spiritual. Then you get to the place where you become Oh, well, you know, I would never do that. But, and then you become judgmental in looking down upon the people. What does he say in the book of Hebrews, uh, no, excuse me, the book of Galatians in chapter 6 and verse 1? Those that are spiritual seek to restore those that are weak, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted to fall the way that somebody else felt. And the subject is because of the flesh and the spirit in the previous chapter. When you see somebody walking in the flesh, feeding that flesh, then you know they need some help. But be careful how you point it out, or Lord, Lord may let you see how weak you are with one little temptation, and you could fall. So always be careful. Now the next thing I want you to see, they're looking in the book of Mark, chapter eleven. Mark chapter eleven. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark chapter eleven. Mark chapter 11, and look in verse 1. As you know, Jesus was um, getting ready to make His entrance into Jerusalem. So He says there in uh, verse 1, And when they were come nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, He sendeth forth two of His disciples, and said unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and... As soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied. Now, how did he know that? How how did he know that? I think he was God. He said, you shall find a colt tied whereon never man set. Loose him and bring him. Now, I don't know, but maybe, you know, have you ever got on a, try to ride a horse that's never been ridden? Would that be a wise thing to do? I've had trouble getting on a horse that had been ridden. And I've had him jump, and I t- had one horse it took off with me. <laughs> Lickety split. It didn't matter. I couldn't pull it back. I couldn't, nothing. That horse had a mind of its own. And I finally, I had both, and I jerked him back, and that thing, he stopped on those front legs, Now what? <laughs> and when I went over his head, I landed on the ground in front of the horse, and I wrapped all of me around the front two legs. till I thought, this horse is going to stumble me to death. And I'm sitting there, and people were watching. They thought it was so funny. And I'm hanging on to the horse's two front legs with my legs around him, my arms around him, because I didn't want him to move. And he, he didn't. He just stood there. Sometimes, you know, they don't always do what they're supposed to do. But he says, I want you to bring this coat. And he says, you shall find a colt tied. Now, here's the thing. A Christian can be tied down by many things. You could be useful to the Lord, but because of sins in your life that you haven't cut free of, and they trap you, they tie you down. And you could be used in a great way for the Lord, but you have to be loosed. And you refuse to get rid of things in your life that's holding you back. I've had people literally cry, say, man, Yankee, you have no idea how I wish I could serve the Lord like you do. I said, well, you can. No, I can't. And what's tying them down is those words, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And they become like, you know, big old tie downs that keeps you from moving. You can't do anything. You could, But because of what you believe, you can't. And you can't because you don't believe you can. You see, when you believe the truth, truth snaps those cords. It gives you freedom. Believe the truth and you will have freedom. But if you don't and you believe the lies, they tie you down. So he told him, says, loose the colt. And he says in verse 3, and if any man say unto you, why do you do this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. So there's a couple of little verses. I, I like reading the scripture, and then I try to pull out of whatever. I think, what can I apply from this? Why do you do this? Why do you do what you do? What kind of a Christian are you? The Lord hath need of me. The Lord hath need of me. Now, some people tell you, no, the Lord doesn't need you. He was doing fine before you came upon planet Earth. And when you're dead and gone, He'll still be in charge and He'll still do fine. That's nice. But God says in His Word, He hath need of me. He left me here because He wants to use me. And maybe I'm nothing more than a jackass, but I am something that He can use. And the Bible says here that they untied the coat. And they brought him, and Jesus rode that colt into Jerusalem. Now, you never know that what you're doing, wherever you go, you're taking Christ to the world. You see, they don't know where he is, but you know where he is. He lives inside of you. So wherever I go, I'm taking Christ to this person, I'm taking Christ to this person, and I'm telling them what Jesus said to tell them. God can use you, but see, so many of God's children are so tied down that they can't do the things that God wants them to do. And then you have, of course, the timid Christians that they're just too shy, whatever. And they don't take a stand on anything. Some Christians are just too weak, and then they won't do anything to make them strong. But then you have a victorious Christian. victorious Christian is a positive-thinking Christian. I can... Because me and God make a majority, and you have confidence. you got boldness. You attempt. You may fail, but at least you tried. I remember there's two little ladies that I used to, uh, up in Georgia, that I used to go by and visit. Lyra and Vera. I don't even remember their last name. Evans, wasn't it? And they never got married all their life. Now they're in their 70s and 80s. And I'd go by and visit and they didn't come to church. Once in a while, the one girl would come, but uh, her sister was in uh, in a bed, and she had to be looked after. And so the the one sister was looking after the other sister. So I'd go by there, and I'd talk to them a little bit, and they'd make me a little something to eat special, you know, when I had to eat a little piece of cake or something, you know. And uh, enjoyed going by and to see these sweet little ladies. And um, when I get ready to leave, I'd have a word of prayer with them. I says, "Now you behave." And she's laying there in the thing and she can't hardly move. She's all, she's crippled up. And and I said, now you behave yourself. She says, I will. (laughs) It was the way she said, I will. And I looked at Vera. I said, you too. And she said, I will. Both of them, I will. And they don't go nowhere. They don't do anything. They're just locked there in the house and find the one passed away. But they were two sweet little ladies. As though they could get in trouble if they tried. You know, some people, that maybe that needs to be why God has to maybe tie them down so that they can stay out of trouble. But understand, if God was to ask you to do something for them, would you say, I won't. No, I will. I will. When he told the son, go work today in my vineyard, I will. And then he didn't go. And the other one says, I won't. And then he went. Delayed obedience is what? Is disobedient. Well, you're going to dedicate your life to the Lord. You're going to serve the Lord, but you just haven't done it yet. Delayed obedience is disobedient. All time is valuable. All of our time is very, very valuable. Let me give you one last verse. You don't have to turn there, but it's in the Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, where he says, I can what? I can do what? How? That what? See, you already know the verse. You ought to be the most positive, active Christians in the world. Because, see, if you believe that, then you're not a defeated Christian. It means that you are being fed from the Word of God, and your faith is strong. You're not tied down because I can do. I can. Some of you, I can't. I can't. I will. I want you to always think about little Lyra and Vera. I will. You can. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for your blessings to us. Thank you for your word you've given us. And blessing the service to follow in Christ's name. Amen.